Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Aimstone channel. I'm with the one and only British Huddle. He's basically anonymous. Uh, he is an investor of Bitcoin, commentator of Bitcoin, as well as analyst. He also has his own YouTube channel. I will leave a link in the description box below. How are you doing, British Huddle? I'm fantastic. This is actually quite fun for me because I used to watch your channel a few years ago when I was doing my mm -hmm. own research and to when I wanted to allocate into Bitcoin. So I guess I got to say thank you to you for doing the videos that you've been doing for a while, for a long time. Of course, I have been watching your YouTube channel recently. You create a very uh, informative content and you get, you, be, you get a lot of views as well. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I, I genuinely don't understand why I'm getting you know the views that uh we're getting it doesn't make any sense to me so you're producing great content i appreciate anyway, british huddle so you're basically anonymous do you want to remain being anonymous or will you oh, my anonymous i got my face out there like every nobody, five week but, no, but nobody knows your name <laughs> yeah i mean we'll leave i think british huddle is pretty cool yeah, i might I like actually i might actually change my legal name to british huddle and then uh <laughs> can be, like, i know his name yeah, you can do that. Yeah, actually, I was anonymous uh, when I started my YouTube channel as well. But then I decided to, because I want to do something different. Maybe if I put my face there, it would be more engaging. So I started doing that. So here we are. It's fantastic. Yeah, I remember your videos when you were anonymous. Right, yeah. I mean, I still produce like animation content where I do not put my face. But when I do interviews, of course, I put my face there. Anyway, British Huddle, what do you think is going on with this current economy? As I know that inflationary accelerates, GDP is barely growing. What do you think is going to happen next? I think we're going to enter an interesting deflationary period next. I think that mm -hmm. the only way that you keep an inflationary system alive is through inflation. So mm -hmm. Anyone who thinks that we're going to sit in deflation for a period of 10 years and it's going to be, you know, everyone's going to be fine with that. You know, the entire world and the $900 trillion debt system that goes with it will collapse if we have 10 years of deflation. So it, while I think the period will be deflationary to effect, there'll be an equal, actually an outweighed amount of money printing on the other side to allow the inflation to happen safely um, without destroying that $900 trillion empire. So that's what I think is going to happen. I think we're going to enter a very, very volatile period because when you want to print money, you need to find reasons to print money. And so now you have all kinds of reasons to print money. You've got war in two different places in the world. Yep. You've got you know the secretary of the U.S. Treasury coming out and saying we can fix racism with money printing. We can fix the we can fix the weather with money printing. You know, any any excuse to print money is going to come out, and I don't think everyone should be prepared for that. Everyone should be prepared to hear the miraculous when it comes to excuses for printing money. Yep, I do believe uh, Janet Yellen also stated not so long ago that if they're not going to raise the debt ceiling, if they're not going to print more money, they basically will default on this debt. So she she basically admitted that we like running a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, I mean, for anyone who who has at least 30 minutes to study the American financial system and the U.S. dollar system, you can pretty much understand it is based on confidence, uh, and it's based on the confidence of the USA. Now, the good news is, is that people have a lot of confidence in the USA, and even if you don't have confidence in the, in the leaders, the short-term leaders of the USA, 
people have a lot of confidence in the underlying uh, establishment that carries the U.S. forward over a period of time. Whether you like it or not, that's totally up to you, but people have confidence in it. Also, U.S. dollar remains like strong compared to other fiat currencies. Like Most of the other fiat currencies drop compared to U.S. dollar. As we can see, U.S. dollar index literally like went up uh, in the last few weeks as risk on assets like stock market, including crypto and Bitcoin, slightly declined. So yeah, there is still a lot of confidence in U.S. dollar. So I think there is still going to be quite some time until they continue to kick the cat down the road. So I guess we're going to go into this inflationary period. And of course, like Bitcoin benefits from it. Like every single cycle, they print more money, Bitcoin goes up. What do you think about that? Yeah, Bitcoin is a Bitcoin is a measure of the amount of debasement that's happened, right? Yep. Um, you know, in the middle during the periods of like the four year uh, highs, it's basically a speculative asset at this point. But as more capital comes into it, the more capital stays stable. As you know better than anyone, there is an eighty percent hodl rate which means that if the price drops by 80% plus, 80% of the people are holding on to their Bitcoin and, 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 and waiting. That's, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. That's almost like, that's almost the same way that it happens with real estate and you don't, and it's a completely liquid asset, which is phenomenal. So, and that only is going to go up as the, as the asset changes hands to this new buyer that's coming into the market. And it, it will. It's it is inevitable for something that has the scarcity of Bitcoin and the unlimited liquidity of the U.S. dollar to crash, to get into each other at some point, and that's what's happening right now. The U.S. dollar is crashing into Bitcoin. Right. Let me just uh, go back a little bit and ask you: How did you get in the Bitcoin in the first place? So I actually thought Bitcoin was a scam in 2017, <laughs> but I have a lot of friends that are in you know, traditional finance and traditional assets, same as me. And so everyone was watching what was going on. Everyone was paying attention to what's happening in the Bitcoins. But what is this thing called Bitcoin? Keep going up every now and then, uh, going up crazy. I thought it was a scam. And I was sitting smoking cigars with my best friend in, in London. And we decided, you know, it was during like that 2017 bull run early on. And we decided, okay, let's speculate on this. We sat there and we bought 20 Bitcoin each. Oh wow! <laughs> Just put a lot of money. Yeah, straight off of the straight straight on our iPhones through Coinbase. Mm -hmm. Two weeks later, it doubled, and we thought, well, this is good for six months worth of cigar smoking. So we sold them, mm -hmm. uh, which is, in hindsight, obviously the stupidest thing I've probably done. Um, and then twenty twenty came around, and then we had the worldwide flu season that everybody knows about. Yep. And I was in London uh, walking around the park and a friend of mine who I really respect turned around and said, hey, I just got into Bitcoin. And I started ridiculing him because all of us in our group were just like, Bitcoin's a scam. And he said, I just got into Bitcoin. And then he said to me, we can only talk about this once you listen or read the Bitcoin standard. Mm -hmm. And then I was walking around the park listening to the Bitcoin standard and Saifedean in the book says the words stock to flow and with my background in assets with my background in gold suddenly it was like the matrix just aligned it was the matrix just aligned for me and i, I realized i'd fucked up completely yeah. got it um 
Yeah, me too. I got like, into Bitcoin like early, like mid 2017. And yes, Bitcoin went to like $20,000, but uh, I thought it's going to go higher. And since then, I mean, I actually never sold a single of my Bitcoin and I'm still huddling today. But in hindsight, maybe maybe I should have sold it. But of course, like hindsight is always 2020. You never know what's going to happen in the hindsight future. Hindsight is 2020. Yeah, that is correct. Um, so yeah, let me ask your next question. Um, as we know, the Bitcoin right now with like $27,000 currently, you know, there's a lot of speculation that there could be Bitcoin spot yeah, sometimes even this year, probably could be, on my opinion, unlikely, but there is a high probability it's going to be next year. What do you think is going to happen to Bitcoin if uh, all of the all spot ETF applications will be approved or at least one? The, the Bitcoin spot ETF is the single most important event for Bitcoin since Bitcoin came out because it allows easy adoption of an asset that is perceived as scary and high risk to the majority of the world. And so, and so I think that as the ETF gets approved, you're looking at 200, $150 to $200 billion worth of inflow within the first five years. And based on back, and that's not my numbers, by the way, that's an ex-managing director of BlackRock's numbers. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 150 to 200 billion dollars worth of inflow. And as you know, the price of an asset is set at the margin of the asset. It's not set on the whole issued supply of the asset. So if you've got 150 billion dollars, 200 billion dollars chasing, you know, uh, a million Bitcoin, if if that's what it is in the market, uh, you're looking at, a you, you know, depending on how that how that lands, you're looking at a very, very rapid rise in the Bitcoin price. And that's not including other functions of Bitcoin. That's just the ETF demand. That's not including people like you and I continuing to buy. That's not including corporations coming in like Strike needing to have a set level of Bitcoin in order to do their foreign currency transactions. It's not including a whole bunch of industries that also need Bitcoin. So... Yes, the ETF is extremely important, and I think it it rapidly increases the adoption of Bitcoin, but not in the way that most Bitcoin maxis want to see it. Yeah, but to allow the pension funds to hold Bitcoin on their uh, accounts, whatever. Um, yeah, I, you know, my question, yeah. my 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 thought is always this: How many people do you speak to that have a retirement fund that know everything about how bonds work? None. <laughs> right. There's probably yeah. a hundred thousand people in the world, if I, if we're lucky, that truly understand how the bond market works. So, yeah. yet so many people own bonds. Why? Because assets are managed. These are managed assets, and so we're about to enter a phase where people don't even know that they own Bitcoin and they own Bitcoin because their fund that they're invested in for their retirement has an allocation to Bitcoin because of the ETF. That is. Phenomenal. It's huge, yep. Yeah. Yep, sort of agree. Uh, do you think a Bitcoin spot ETF will be approved this year or next year? My, you know, everyone, everyone, I'm known to be bullish. Mm -hmm. So I'll, uh, I'll preface that. Um, I think that there is a high likelihood that the ETF gets approved this year in 2023. Mm -hmm. The reason for that is that if I'm BlackRock, if I'm any of these funds that want to sell that product. I need to train my sales team. I need to prepare my clients. I need to educate my clients on a brand new asset. 
Right. And yep. that takes time. And I want to use the halving as a reason to drive FOMO into the new product that I've just released. So it makes sense that the ETF comes out this year um, or very early 2024. But I'll stick with the prediction analysis of the Bloomberg intelligence guys, James and James and Eric. And they, they give it a 75% likelihood that it comes out in 2023. Now, the thing is, is that all the $1,000 net worthers on Twitter look at, oh, the SEC pushed forward the deadline for, um, you know, BlackRock and everything else. And they mm -hmm. forget to see that the biggest gorilla in the cage, which is GBTC, has not been responded to. Why? Because GBTC won a lawsuit against the SEC and the SEC got a Royal Rumble smackdown. And now yep. they need to decide how they're going to play that. And the deadline for that is this Friday, the 13th of October. Right. Uh, Grayscale won the lawsuit against SEC. So I do not think that SEC will be so favorable to approve Grayscale, at least first, the Bitcoin spot ETF. It's not, it's not the point, though. It, it's out of their hands now. It's out of the mm -hmm. SEC's hands. If SEC has any anger, any vitriol, anything towards, towards Grayscale, it's no longer relevant because it now went to the courts. Three judges gave them, the, gave them a smackdown better than anyone was ever expected. That smack, if you just lead, read um, the response that the judges had, that, that was so pro-Bitcoin ETF, you couldn't even imagine it. I had I had friends that are lawyers read that and just be like, this is unbelievable. The fact that the way that they dismantled the SEC's arguments. Now, could the SEC cause some form of delay from here? Sure. But the SEC is done trying to pretend like they don't want a GBTC, uh, you know, ETF conversion. That story is finished because the next step for them, if they want to appeal what the judges said, is go to 17 judges, not three. And if they go to the 17 judges and they get a Royal Rumble smackdown, then at that point, Grayscale's, you know, Grayscale can basically say, right, we need the court to instruct the SEC what to do. And they will. Mm. Based on mm -hmm. the yeah, very interesting. So you think uh, Bitcoin spot, yeah, at least for Grayscale, could be approved through the court, basically. Absolutely. And that's exactly what that's what happened with the with the GLD ETF. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned. The GBTC is the signal. Everything else is noise. Uh, mm -hmm. And everyone should focus on the GBTC news. And remember, the, the, other, the other applications are up to the, SEC's, uh, up to the SEC's discretion, which means that if next week they are forced to approve a GBTC uh, ETF application, just hypothetically, they can easily bring forward all of the other ones. And by the way, you know what the unique thing I was reading on Eric's uh, Twitter, the unique thing that they've been doing with these uh, applications is they've actually been commenting and reaching out to the applicants to help them get the application. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. based, on, based on Bloomberg Intelligence guys' uh, analysis, that's never happened before. Mm -hmm never happened before. So this is a very, very unique position. So I think it's above a 50% chance that we get approved in 2023. And it's an above an 80% chance that we get approved very early in 24. Got it. So yeah, that is definitely exciting time for Bitcoins coming up for the next two years or so. Um, yeah, next year in 2024, we're also going to have like Bitcoin having around April. What do, you, what do you think is going to be more influential Bitcoin having or Bitcoin spot? Yeah. 
spot ETF. The halving will the, the halving will matter a lot as it always does because the supply of an asset gets cut in half. But Bitcoin has never truly experienced a demand shock like an ETF can can deliver. Um, we all think, oh, Michael Saylor coming in with you know three or four billion dollars in buying Bitcoin is big news, and it absolutely was big news for that time in the market. But it's absolutely zero news when you consider other assets. So. You know, if someone told you, oh, we're setting up a three or four billion dollar real estate fund, no one would give a shit. So you said that Bitcoin spot ETF will be more influential than uh, Bitcoin having. Yeah, we also can see through the history that Bitcoin having becomes less less influential throughout the cycles. I believe out there first having Bitcoin made like 100x, that like 33x. And now since the last cycle, we made like, I don't know, like seven, eight x, something like that. Um, how much do you think? Bitcoin having, Bitcoin having will play a role in the next uh, Bitcoin bull, bull market run. The halving's halving's always important, but the ETF is, like I said, way more important this time round because the the demand shock side of it is the thing that you know um, makes me wonder what happens here. Because just imagine how easy it will be to buy Bitcoin. You have a broker account with Charles Schwab or Fidelity or whoever else. You go in there, you see your Tesla. Elon Musk pisses you off on Twitter. You <laughs> click sell on your Tesla shares and you click buy on your G- on your Bitcoin ETF shares. And now you have exposure to Bitcoin. And it's, by the way, a better performing asset than everything else. So it's like this, is, this now turns into a very different game. Um, so yes, I think the halving is extremely important, and I, I love the halving. But the demand shock factor is very, very important for Bitcoin at this point. It's never we've never experienced a demand shock. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Everyone talks yep. about supply shocks. We've never ever experienced a demand shock. It could telling be a hockey me, stick. <laughs> telling me that Michael Saylor's four billion dollars, which is by the way, I think one of the most smartest corporate decisions ever made, but Telling me that $4 billion in a $900 trillion worldwide empire is a shock to an asset is ridiculous, right? There is going to be – what happens when $200 billion wants to get involved in Bitcoin during – over the same time period that Michael Saylor got involved? What happens then, right? That's a demand shock. So while the supply shock is very, very important, we're actually going to get a demand shock now. Yep, I do not disagree on that. Um, so yeah, we know that Bitcoin has a fixed supply. There, there will be no more than 21 million ever Bitcoin. And the gold also has like a fixed supply, but we do not know what that supply really is because we do not know how much gold. We don't know what it is. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I have a good point. <laughs> so um, what do you think uh, Bitcoin versus gold comparison? Yeah, listen, look, I think that um, I used to be a big proponent of gold. Um, and I used to be a big proponent of 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 metals in general because I was mm-hmm. in pursuit of this hard asset that couldn't screw me over, right? Do I think gold is 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 right for people? No, not anymore. 
and I sold my entire gold position in November of 2020. Finally, between April to mm-hmm. November of 2020, I sold my entire gold position because it doesn't make sense for the argument that's being made. For the average person, gold is terrible, and for someone who is successful with money, it's bad. Right? So think about that. The average person. You can look right now, go look at the price of a one gram bar of gold. It's about $100 that you can buy. The average person wants to go to work for a wage that doesn't keep up with inflation in the first place, then wants to take $100 of that, which, by the way, most people are just above bankruptcy and they're being told. Morons like me in the past are telling people to save in gold. And then they want to take $100 put it into gold and receive $58 of gold back, right? Because the spot market value of one gram of gold is a roughly $60, but they're paying $100 for the bar, mm-hmm. which means that gold itself has to go up by 70% in order for them to break even. Mm-hmm. What do right? you buy physical, physical gold? I'm talking about physical oh, gold. Talking about physical? Oh, I'm okay. talking about physical gold. If you can go and buy, a, I'm talking about the average person. I'm not talking about someone like me who's going to buy an ounce of gold. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the average person who wants to save in gold. They're going to buy a one gram bar of gold or several one gram bars of gold. It's $100. But there's only $60 of gold in that brick. The premium is... The premium is higher, the smaller the bar gets, right? And by the way, this is not me making this up. Go look at any gold website. Go look for the price of a one gram bar of gold. And then go look at the goldprice.org and look at how much the price of one gram of gold is in the market. And and here's the thing. If you're looking at 10 years, how how much of the U.S. dollar has been printed in 10 years? Forget 10 years. How much of the U.S. dollar has been printed in four years it's like 50 percent 50 percent of the u.s dollar has been printed in four years gold has not kept up with that so gold to me is it's kind of weird to me when i see gold guys like i used to be that preach the idea of hard money all day every day and then they see bitcoin and somebody who's actually a gold person explains it to them why it is actually scarce. They don't get it. No, I actually had an interview with Peter Schiff. We actually had like a friendly debate, Bitcoin versus gold. And yeah, he continues saying the same argument and he does not really understand Bitcoin. But on my humble opinion, I believe why he's doing that because he has like a gold business. Of course, he has high incentive to continue promoting and selling gold. And unlike Bitcoin, he doesn't make any money promoting Bitcoin because he doesn't have any. Yeah, you know, again, he might, the, 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 the craziest thing about that would be, can you imagine if he does own Bitcoin and he's still doing what he's doing? Can you imagine the karmic rewards, yeah. the karmic punishments of that? The second I realized that I had messed up with, with gold over Bitcoin, I could no longer talk about gold anymore. Yep. And additionally, he said that he had like a one third of the Bitcoin, but he lost private keys, which is very irresponsible, in my opinion. Um, anyway, so uh, let's move on. What do you think about like other altcoins comparing to Bitcoin? I don't really think about other altcoins. So just 
ignore them all. <laughs> it's, it's irrelevant to me because when I'm thinking about where I want to put my money, the, the, the conversation, it's two-folded conversation. Number one is what problem is this solving? So what problem is wherever I want to put my money solving? And number two is what's the profit potential, right, as an investor? Yep. And so when I think about what problem is Bitcoin solving, Bitcoin solves every, the problem of every single human being on Earth. Yep. There is no greater problem. Fix the money, so, fix the world. Exactly. So there is no greater problem, and therefore I don't need to focus on it. I, to me, a lot of these altcoiners and, and shitcoiners, as we lovingly call them, um, it's almost like you're talking about a retarded cousin, right? It's like, oh, <laughs> so... The, 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 the way that I think about it is this. They don't fix a single problem. They don't even dream about fixing a single problem that will be fixed without the money being fixed. So they say access to investment opportunities. What is the value of access to investment opportunities when the underlying system is broken? Yep. That's yep, my that's thought process, right? So I want to, I want the underlying system to be fixed, and then I'm a capitalist. You want to come and build a bunch of shit coins on top <laughs> of Bitcoin? Absolutely. Go ahead. You, yep. Go ahead. I have no problem yep. with that. You wanna, you wanna attach JPEGs to Bitcoin and sell that as an NFT? Go for it. No problem. I have zero issues with that. Yep. Yeah, it's very first. Yep, I like how you uh, think. So you basically focus on like underlying problem and uh, just fundamental rather than like speculate, speculating on a bunch of shit coins. Uh, personally, I think when I got into Bitcoin back in like mid 2017, I was very like hardcore, uh, deep value Warren Buffett type investor. So yeah, 2016, I find out about Bitcoin, but I dismissed it because I was like, oh, this is just speculation. I'm not going to find Bitcoin's intrinsic value, so I'm just going to dismiss it right off the bat. But um, then I realized that Bitcoin is not very speculative. Bitcoin is it's more as a hedge against printing money. As we can see that in other countries like Argentina, Turkey, Zimbabwe, Bitcoin literally made like new all-time high in those currencies. So I think Bitcoin is very valuable, especially to those countries. But going back to my point, I saw that like other like altcoins like Ethereum, Dogecoin, whatever, they made literally more gains than Bitcoin. So I decided to maybe put like 20% of my portfolio in Ethereum and 80% in uh, Bitcoin. And since then I just kept it that way. But the reason why I think I bought Ethereum, yes, Ethereum is like a shit coin, is centralized, whatever. But I think what if I'm what if I'm wrong about Bitcoin? What if there is something else going to take over, which so might be highly unlikely, but there is still that thought that I could be wrong in the end. Well, sure, right? And what year did you make that transition in your portfolio? Uh, since 2017. Right, that was right, pretty much at the beginning, right? So, sure, could you be wrong about Bitcoin, right? Is there a probability where you could be wrong about Bitcoin? Possibly. But in the last three years, I would argue, in the last three, four, five years, I would argue that that wall of worry and wall of concern has been completely climbed. You've now got the number one asset manager in the world, BlackRock, talking about 
how Bitcoin is environmentally friendly. So all of those probabilistic things that could have attacked Bitcoin have been completely destroyed in the last three years. And now Bitcoin is becoming mainstream. We know everyone knows how to tax it in the world, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, it's like, yeah, you can speculate on Ethereum. I don't have any problem with anyone speculating on anything. I'm a capitalist, so I believe that everybody has the right to make and lose money. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and so do I do I think that's a do I think that's a good idea? Maybe for a trade. Do I think that I'm gonna put the majority of my net worth into Ethereum like Raul Powell said he was gonna do <laughs> during the last bull run? I think he did that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And guess what? He won, right? Because the dollar gains on Ethereum were higher than Bitcoin, right? In the last run. Hopefully, he got out in time. But I'm not willing to care. I don't care. I need to fix the system first. You know why? Because things like Ethereum, when they're promoted, what they do, because they can't get any liquidity from institutional funds anymore, or at least it's going down. The Ethereum futures ETF came out and it Mm -hmm. had about $20 million worth of volume on the first day. That is like a fart in the wind. Compared to Bitcoin, yeah. Right, 200 million, I think, in the first couple hours on Bitcoin. So no one cares about Ethereum. Institutional doesn't care about (laughs) Ethereum. The regulators don't give a shit about Ethereum. They've come out and told you exactly what it is. We think it's a security. Gary Gensler is doing talks before he became the SEC chairman telling you why Ethereum is a security. So could it work out? Sure. Is it going to work out? I don't know. I I think there there is much higher risk on Ethereum than there is on Bitcoin. And I think anyone who's trying, and I think you'll see that in this upcoming cycle. Because in this upcoming cycle, the venture capitalists that were hyping up all of these shit coins are now out of the game. They cannot join the game. There's too much gray area on those, on those guys. So they cannot pump these shit coins. They cannot pump uh, these stupid projects that are completely irrelevant. And then on the secondary market, try and get my parents, my grandma, my aunt, my whatever, to dump into this asset because of FOMO. They can't do it. Plus, they have a new target. They have AI stocks. So now that the VC capital has left, it's going to be intriguing to see how the shitcoin market plays out. Yep. And if if we can see, like, year to date, Bitcoin is, like, by far performed, like, a bunch of the shitcoins it outperformed like Ethereum, Dogecoin still like down like in two years or something. Um, uh, speaking of Dogecoin, I think there is still a possibility Elon Musk could say something and that Dogecoin could like skyrocket. <laughs> what do you think about that? Sure, just... sure, sure. But if I wanted to base my life and my mission and my desire to create the world that I want to see, and I wanted to base that off of every time Elon Musk pulls his dick out. <laughs> I think yep. that would be a worthless life. Yep. Yeah, I think speculating on like shit coins is basically like playing with the fire. It's just a matter of time when you're going to get burned. Maybe first time you're going to win, second time you're going to win, but the third time you're going to lose everything. So 
I think I just, think, I, I just think it's ignorant. I think it's ignorant. I think it's irresponsible. And most importantly, I think it's purposeless. Yep, totally agree. Um, Max Kaiser likes to say, like, shit coins there to steal your Bitcoin. Absolutely. I've never seen a shit coin project that actually works. Yeah. Right? It's, basically it's, just... like, it's gonna happen at some point in the future. <laughs> It's but it never happens. happens. <laughs> it, and it never happens. And in the meantime, you steal everyone's grandmas, aunties, brothers, you know, yep. uh, net worths. Yep. It's a, so yeah, I think like a shit coin field has to be like regulated somehow, but maybe just people going to learn their own lesson and just uh, have the blood on their own hands when they lose their money. So what do you think about that? It should be regulated or should people like learn their own lessons? I'm I'm a I'm a traditional traditional asset guy. So to me, there is securities laws that have been in place for 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 hundreds of years. They need mm -hmm. to be respected. If you want access to the U.S. capital markets, they need to be respected. And the U.S. capital markets are the most important capital markets in the world. And all of these people that are coming out and saying, "Oh, the U.S. falling behind on shitcoin regulation is going to mean <laughs> that all these other countries are going to charge ahead," I would like to see that in 20 years. That is not going to happen. Yep, got it. Uh, as we know, I think a few years ago, El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as a Bitcoin standard. Uh, what do you think is happening in El Salvador? I think they made the right decision. Firstly, I've never been, so I can't comment on what is happening in El Salvador. Um, secondly, I want to make a correction. Everyone says El Salvador adopted the Bitcoin standard. From my perspective, they didn't. Because if you read the actual legislation, what it says is you can use Bitcoin to transact as long as it's referenced in U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. What that means mm -hmm. is, is that if I want to buy, if I want to buy this glass of, of 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 electrolytes from you, then I can't price this in satoshis. I need to ask you how much is this in U.S. dollars, and then send you the equivalent Bitcoin. So really, what they've done is remove the taxation off of. Um, short-term short-term taxation of a bitcoin right yeah the unit of account is of course us dollar because bitcoin i think is very volatile it's very hard to price something in bitcoin at least right now because of sure. high volatility yeah so basically they have not gone on to a bitcoin standard if they did that that would be amazing but they have not gone into a bitcoin standard and i don't know what the adopt i guess the adoption keeps growing i guess a lot of people love you know, the, the, the president, um, and I hope he does well for his people. I, it looks like the country's getting safer. It looks like the country's get, attracting more investment. And all of that's absolutely fantastic. And if they've used the idea of, you know, bringing Bitcoin into their, uh, in, into their public vision and their, and, their corp, and their government treasury, that's absolutely fantastic. But is it a Bitcoin standard? No. I think they're using, like, dual maybe standard, I don't know if you want to call that, like dollar and Bitcoin. Um, no, they're, they're no. no? I, I, don't like, I don't like confusing it. They are on the US dollar standard. They have removed short-term taxation for the transaction of Bitcoin. And that's it? Uh -huh. That's it. Yeah, um, yeah, so let's see. Let's see what's going to happen to El Salvador, but I'm very optimistic as we know that GDP literally skyrocketed since they adopted basically uh, Bitcoin or they bought Bitcoin, but I think whenever they bought Bitcoin, they still down compared to their average price. We also know like Michael Saylor, I think his average price was like $29,000 or so. So he's still currently down. Um, do you think they made the right decision buying Bitcoin and the like dollar cost and averaging? 
comparing that they're down right now? I think Michael Saylor's decision to put MSTR on a Bitcoin treasury will go down in history as one of the most smartest, most intelligent corporate decisions ever made. Mm -hmm. It might not happen this year, but over over uh, only a fool judges what happens over a year. Yep. Smart people look at 10 years minimum. Right? Yep. So over a 10-year window, I think Michael Saylor will be one of the smartest. Be, it will be one of the smartest corporate decisions, and whoever was on that board when deciding that will go down as one of the best boards in history in terms of creating shareholder value. Yeah, so I agreed with that. Yeah, Peter Chief brought that point that Michael Saylor is down, El Salvador is down, but I said you cherry picking certain people and it's certain well, period Peter of time. Schiff, Peter Schiff can get fucked because an entire <laughs> war broke out in the Middle East and gold went up fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah, that's true. I mean, Bitcoin to be frankly, Bitcoin did not go up that much either, but hopefully the next few days or weeks is going to like react to that. You had the single biggest money printing event in modern history so far in 2020 and gold couldn't even breach its previous high, its previous local high. Yep. Yeah. Bitcoin went up from like $8,000 to like six to $9,000. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Bitcoin responds very nicely when a fat injects liquidity into the market as we, if you, uh, Look at the M2 money supply, you already change and Bitcoin price action. They basically go like align like hand to hand, which is uh, very cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you think we're going to have like maybe next uh, liquidity injection like anytime soon, like maybe next year? Or what do you think has to happen for uh, Fed to start printing more money? Yeah, I think we're, we're six to nine months away maximum at this point. Mm -hmm. and I think it could be sooner. I put my six to nine month clock on it like three months ago. So I think it could be sooner. I think there will be some form of liquidity, some form of easings that, that happens in this market, regardless of what goes on with inflation. You just can't afford to refinance government debt at these levels. So you think they would give up in fighting against inflation and give up saving dollars just to save the economy? In my, yes, I think they would do that. But in my opinion, there is no fight against inflation anymore. Mm, yeah, I think the rates peaked. Maybe there is like one more 25 basis points on the table this year. And then there is market actual prices in cuts in 2023, which is, I think it's not surprising, but let's see if the Fed is going to do that, considering the fact that inflation still remains elevated. Remember, anything that the Fed tells you is a lie. Yep. The Fed's number one asset is not interest rates. It is psychological control. So... Yep. The, the feds the feds role is to keep you scared or greedy enough to get the result that they want with the economy with the fed it's almost like flying a plane that's already in the air that has no real destination but just has unlimited fuel and they just mm -hmm. got to keep it going somewhere right basically the job is how do we keep this plane in the damn air and so at this point, I think they've over-tightened, and so I think they'll need to loosen. And I think that's Jerome Powell's MO. Jerome Powell's MO is, I can go hard in one direction because I can also go easy in the other direction. Yep. Yeah, Fat cannot really predict anything, at least that's what history says. Like Jerome Powell in 2020, when pandemic started, he said that we want to 
let inflation run, run hot for about like two percent but overall we want to have average two percent and look what happened in the next two years like inflation literally skyrocketed and of course it, they got caught off guard yeah i mean you know there was a lot of supply chain dynamics when it came to the inflation um this time around which is why i don't see i i don't foresee a resurgence in inflation like we had in the 1970s yeah but do you, you do not think that uh the cause of maybe supply chain dynamic is money printing the cause of the supply chain issues in the last in in this run of inflation has been locking down countries for no reason and locking down productivity for no reason. And now you've got productivity coming back, right? You've got AI and robots that are helping Amazon warehouses more than people. So there is a lot of deflationary activity going on at this point. So I don't, I don't foresee inflation coming back in a runaway fashion. Yeah, but as Joe Booth likes to say, that technology is deflationary. As know that AI and robots can potentially replace humans. What do you think is going to happen to people like if uh, robots take a lot of their jobs? Again, I, I personally, I think we're going, we're heading straight towards some kind of UBI or a ban on AI and robots, one or the other. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it will end up being a mixture of both as it normally is. There'll be a ban on certain types of robots, and there'll be an encouragement of, uh, you know, some kind of UBI for people. Remember, the smartest thing that the government can do right now with 130% debt to GDP is let inflation run to 50, 60% and print the money. <laughs> it's going to be Zimbabwe number two. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be Zimbabwe number two. It the wouldn't smartest, be? The smartest thing that they can do is launch a CBDC or some form of CBDC, right? I'm, by the way, I'm now speaking as someone who's trying to protect this $900 trillion empire, right? Mm -hmm. you, you, you bring out a CBDC, everyone, everyone has it on their phone, you allow 50% inflation rates for three or four years, you then print enough money to send it out to people so that their lifestyle doesn't really deteriorate because they have enough capital to buy what they need to buy. And then you reduce your debt to GDP ratio down to 70, you know, 80% over three or four years and you keep, keep the empire moving forward. You think it's going to work? Well, let's not forget that in 2020, the main reason why inflation skyrocketed because uh, Fed and government, they did not, I mean, they printed money, but they handed checks to people. So what did people do? They, in lockdown, they just go into spend and then they... They didn't. They didn't, huh? did they? They didn't really hand checks to people. They had an inefficient system. Businesses that needed the money didn't get it because they were stuck in the bureaucracy of the banking system. There was a lot of bureaucracy. I think that was a test. It was an interesting test to see what would happen if we really needed to get money to all these people. No, but I was one of the beneficiaries who received the money. <laughs> so I was, I was uh, working uh, as an analyst on the Wall Street, and yes, like they stopped everything. I think three months I was sitting home, and for three months I was receiving checks. Right, but, so. but you were one person that it worked for, and... You were an analyst on Wall Street, so of course it worked for Wall Street, right? What I'm trying to say is, for the average, how do you do that with every single person in the United States? The only way to do that is through some form of CBDC, because it goes UBI, yeah. straight into your control, right? Versus using a bank or relying on your your company to pay you, et cetera, et cetera. So, 
I, you know, if I was the U.S. and I was thinking about how to protect this $900 trillion empire, that would be my path of action. I would allow inflation to run hot, um, massively hot. I would print enough money to give people their lifestyle back while that inflation runs hot. I would reduce the debt-to-GDP ratio from 130% down to you know, 80 90% and keep the, keep the train moving for another 50 years. Tell me a politician that doesn't vote to kick the can down the road. Nobody, yep. But hold on, but if you have inflation 50%, then the price of this microphone is going to be like $3,000. <laughs> sure, but if they gave you enough money to pay for that so that it was just like buying a microphone now, then it wouldn't make, it wouldn't make much difference to the quality of your life. That is true, but it would be make a difference for a quality of U.S. government because they would basically give up on U.S. dollar. I, I just disagree. I think you can run inflation hot for a period of time, print enough money to give it to people so their quality of life relatively stays the same and keep it pushing. That would be interesting exper experiment. So let's see what they're going to do. Um, all, I, all I know is that if I had to decide which way a politician is going to vote, they're going to vote to kick the can down the road. Yeah, 100%. Yep. I think the honest thing would be to do it just maybe like, yeah, they maybe default on the debt and uh, just restructure the debt and start from the beginning. But of course, in that case, everything would uh, crash. You just, um, said to, you just said the word that, that is like uh, sunlight hitting a vampire when it comes <laughs> to honest, honest thing to do. Yeah, that's never going to happen. Um, yeah, so let me ask you a last question, British Huddle. Um, what do you think is going to happen like to Bitcoin price maybe by the end of 2023 or by the end of the decade, considering the fact that they're going to kick the can down the road? Um, by the end of the decade, I think we're somewhere around the $1 million price point. Um, mm -hmm. Shortly after the beginning of the next decade, I think we're at $5 million per coin. Very interesting. Um, yeah, by I hope way, so. By the way, everyone <laughs> thinks I'm crazy when I say that. $5 million per coin Bitcoin is only 27000 now. $5 million per Bitcoin is only a $100 trillion market cap. Gold is a $13 trillion market cap. U.S. stocks is a $150 trillion market cap. U.S. bonds is a $120 trillion market cap. Worldwide real estate is $330 trillion market cap. You're telling me Bitcoin can't get to $100 trillion? $100 trillion would be slightly less than 10% of the total uh, wealth in the world, which is, I think, is realistic. That's, yeah, I mean, yeah, basically. Absolutely right. It's about the total debt system of the world is worth $900 trillion. Yeah, so it's just a little bit more than 10% of that. Yep, agree with that. Okay, British Huddle, thank you so much for doing this. Where can people find you? Uh, just go to YouTube.com, most well-known website on earth, and type in British Huddle, and you'll find me. Or on Twitter, you can also find me at, as, uh, at British Huddle, too. Got it, guys. I will, leave the link, I will leave the links in the description box below, so go check out British Huddle. And once again, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure.